0: We are glad to be here this morning. Thank you for your encouragement of uh, Dory and her family. I know that you folks very, very much have been praying for them. And uh, I know our church family has been alerted, and uh, we want you folks to know. I've already shared with that with, with Dory privately, but we're certainly praying for your church family. You, you just sense the great grief and loss. and It's the, it's the unique difficulty of uh, life, birth, and death, and we rejoice in and we mourn. Uh, people that we love who've gone to be with the Lord, and certainly we do that regarding Jim. And it might be good. Let's just bow our heads for a moment and uh, pray for uh, the Douglas family. Father, we're thankful today for all that Christ means to us, and we don't say that as a trite phrase. We we are so glad that that, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Certainly we celebrate that this Christmas season, but I Especially pray for Dory and her family today that you will minister to her in a, in a way that will bring comfort and encouragement even during uh, grief, sorrow. We're so thankful that Christ died for sinners like Jim, that you drew him to faith in Christ and service for him, and praying that you will minister the gospel yet in the lives of people for those that will participate in fellowship with the family, for even family members, that each one of them will be drawn to explicit faith, love, trust of the Lord Jesus Christ, even to an appropriate review of life, that we might make the adjustments that will be significant for time and eternity, especially for this church family. Work and bless, guide, even as they walk through a process of grief, having lost one of their assistant pastors. Thank you for uh, their faithful service and ministry. Pray that your blessing would be upon them in a very special way. So we commit this church to your care. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've often noted uh, here recently uh, that uh, if you want to make God laugh, then make a plan, and he'll, he'll change those plans. Some of you may be aware that I had announced my retirement plan to uh, transition into a part-time ministry beginning in June of next year and God has uh, greatly accelerated that plan and so I will be finishing my ministry at Ankeny Baptist Church at the end of January and will be entering a full-time interim ministry on behalf of the GARBC so that has required some adjustments regarding my participation here I've had to hand off responsibilities both on the steering committee and my preaching responsibilities And that will be capably covered on a regular basis here. Uh, But I I do want you to know that some, I know, no doubt are aware of that. Uh, That's with great regret. That's why when Debbie and I were sitting down and praying through all of these things, uh, we were trying to figure out all of the implications, both uh, for our church family, for this church family, for our family, for our plans. And uh, we've always prayed, God, you have every right to alter the course of our life. You don't need our permission to do so. We present our lives as a living sacrifice. We want that to be appropriate, our reasonable service. And uh, God evidently took us at our word and he said, okay, here are your plans and I'm going to change them. And that was be- became very evident to us. And so that's with some level of apology because that affects this church family and my ability to regularly uh, be here on a Sunday-to-Sunday basis. Don't be alarmed, there is no sermon outline today because I admittedly preach a far different message than is typical. I occasionally preach what I call a narrative message, basically a story. And so uh, I, I just want you to follow as best you are able. You will want to turn your Bible to John chapter 1. I will eventually land there, though I will not necessarily exposit the text, but I will use the text there in John 1 as a way of helping us answer what child is this. We're just saying that. What child is this laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet and shepherds keep? This this is Christ the King, of course. Dan Ollinger, who is the chair of uh, biblical studies at Bob Jones University, wrote this facetious little conversation. An angel walks into the executive office wing of heaven and steps up to the receptionist. I'd like to see the sun, please. The, reception, the receptionist replies, I'm sorry, but you can't see the sun right now. Now, this is the first time that those words have ever been uttered. The angel is taken aback. I can't? Why not? Well, he's not in. He's not in. What do you mean he's not in? He's omnipresent. How can he be not in? Uh, Well, he's not here, the angel sputters. Okay, you're not making any sense, but I'll play your little game. Where is he? If you'll tell me where he is, I'll go there and I'll talk to him. Well, I could tell you where he is, but even if you go there, you wouldn't be able to talk to him. Why not? Well, and the receptionist pauses for quite an awkward length of time. Um, he can't talk. And now the angel is beside himself. He can't talk. What kind of nonsense is that? Well, the receptionist replies, he's an unborn child. <laughs> Limited God made flesh. Many of us have become really familiar with the great doctrines of the faith. If I were to begin to name them, you could uh, begin to think through. We, we, we know the word incarnation. We talk about the substitutionary, penal work of Christ at Calvary. We talk about justification, reconciliation, a glorification, that we have become inured, we, we become bored or accustomed to a narrative To doctrines that literally ought to thrill our soul. How could you possibly yawn your way through a saga like Matthew or Luke narrates for us? How can you not have a huge sense of awe that the eternal Son of God now becomes flesh? The immortal, eternal God now becoming mortal, being born the the historically attested narrative is really unlike any tale or any mystery thriller there's nothing so spellbinding as the transcendent high holy god of the universe who will come live with us to be like us to take on our essence being fully human Paul the Apostle declared that Christ Jesus humbled himself by taking upon himself the essence of a servant. He was born in the likeness of humanity. His looks, his countenance was like any other ordinary Palestinian baby. The baby born had wrinkly, wet skin when he was born. He, He was olive skinned looked like any other Jewish child of that first century day. Passers-by, if they looked at Jesus, they would not note him. There was no, uh, contrary to some theology that we get from Christmas carols, there was no golden hue that emanated from his person. Rather, uh, Mary and Joseph knew who this child was. Remember prior to conception that the angel Gabriel... Months earlier had announced, behold, you will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. He will be called great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign in the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What child is this? Though no one saw, though no one understood, though no one knew, they knew the one born to them would be the result of the miracle of God, the Holy Spirit. He would be the Son of the Highest. He is great. He is the the eternal King of Israel. He would be their Savior. What child is this? Well, he would be Emmanuel, which is, remember, God with us. Mary knew. Shepherds knew, there were peasant shepherds that knew, yet few others knew or uh, recognized or gave anything more than a cursory glance at this unfortunate couple there with a brand new baby, forced because of the high density of people traveling to Jerusalem to be registered as required by Caesar Augustus, All of the in-rooms were taken, no hospitality rooms whatsoever, and so the only place they could go was to a stable. Later, in this babe's earthly life, So many did not know, did not see, did not recognize who he was. Even the disciples, you remember, they they closely followed Jesus from town to town. They saw miracle after miracle. They heard sermon after sermon. Private conversation that was repeated day after day after day after day. And yet even they little understood who this one was, what he came to do. You'll remember a number of occasions later in the earthly ministry of Jesus where he looked at his disciples primarily and said, very soon I will be going to Jerusalem. I will suffer at the hands of sinful men. I will be crucified. I will rise again. And you can, do you see in your mind's eye that idea just going way over their heads? They they just, they, they, one of the occasions of that, the very next thing you find the disciples doing is squabbling with each other about who will be the greatest in the kingdom. They, they don't understand. Later, John the Apostle, which you'll find there in John chapter 1, the disciple described as the one that Jesus loved, the beloved disciple. He would set forth with great precision who this babe, this man was. He was first the word. In the beginning was the Word, that most articulate expression of the mind, the purposes, the heart, the essence of God the Father himself. This one, the Word, was alongside the Father, alongside the Spirit, being very God himself. This one, from all eternity, lived, he had no beginning. This word was the one that John says all things. You'll see it there, verse three. I think it is all things were what made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Further, John says, if you're following there in that early part of the first chapter, he says this word was the uh, the life, and him was life. All creation, all humanity lives. Because he is life. Paul in Colossians 1 says, By him all things exist and are held together. He, uh, his life was the light of men. Men, however, due to the presence of indwelling sin and active rebellion on their part, on our part, uh, you'll find John says they don't comprehend the light. The world which he made... The world in which he lived. Do you see it there in John 1.11? It did not know him. That humble place of birth, Bethlehem, was so appropriate for the word who made the worlds came into the world, but it refused him. It ignored him. It rejected him. It even put him to death. Now, John 1.14, you'll find it. This word was made, what? Flesh. John, no doubt, remembers the words that he heard repeated to him, You will call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. The word, God the Son, became human without abandoning his deity. Veiled in flesh. Hark! The Herald Angels uh, tells us. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity. So when you look at Jesus, see him fully human. Body, soul, spirit. That aspect of his person born, brought into being by a miracle of the Holy Spirit as he came upon Mary, and produced her son fully human now you understand that as fully human that means that there's the understanding that we are limited are any of you unlimited in power or ability today that 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 we, we've seen in your own church family that accepts the possibility of death for being mortal says we're We have mortality. There's an end to our existence, humanly. Uh, Jesus was not merely a a, a physical body in which the eternal Son dwelt, but rather there is the immaterial part of him so that when when Lazarus dies, you'll remember, and, and Mary and Martha are weeping, that little verse that all children love to memorize. They don't often memorize the reference, but some of you know John 11:35, when you don't even realize what the verse is. Do you remember the verse? Jesus wept. Children love to memorize that, of course, because it's so short. <laughs> uh, you see, Jesus had emotion. So he is fully human. He was, however, communicating the essence of the Father. He, John 1.14 says, is full of grace and truth. Full of grace, remember, for grace is that unmerited kindness to the worst of people who deserve nothing by way of goodness or kindness to you and me. He's also, by the way, full of truth. His message is crystal clear. Uh, he, he does not ever absolve or merely overlook righteousness, truth, justice, purity, but rather he came into the world to save sinners, you and me, people who have violated him as a God of truth. This one, the unique, the only son, he declares the father to lost humanity. The father's declaration of the son, he sent born of a woman, Paul says in Galatians 4, born of under the law, in order that he might redeem us who are under the law. John the Baptist would later, in this very chapter, John 129, John the Baptist would look at Jesus and do you remember his exclamation? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We know this word made flesh is the Messiah, the Christ. He is anointed by God, to shepherd his people, to redeem his people. The anointed in Israel's time would largely have been thought of a kingly anointing. They thought of their Messiah as someone that would come to rescue them from a political system, from Roman tyrants that dwelt in their land and controlled every aspect of their life. But this Messiah would be a king that would not merely eventually address who would rule them on earth, but rather who would transform their hearts as sinners. He would do that not merely in living as man among men. Remember, he would do that not merely by working miraculous deeds, but he would rather do it by his death at Calvary. There as a man as human, as mortal, he would die as a man for men, for women, for children. Now remember, if he's only a perfect man, and we know that he was far more than that, but if only a perfect man, then ask yourself the question, for how many other people may he die? Answer would be one. A a perfectly sinless man, but only a man, could only die for one other person. But as God in flesh, as fully Son of God, creator, sustainer of all, and humanity, his death is sufficient for humanity. His death is of infinite value. His death would be sufficient for all sinners. You remember Peter later would describe the blood of Christ. Do you remember that? He says, we are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. But now in your mind, can you remember that? We are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. That's as of a lamb without blemish or without spot. It was later in Jesus' life that he told his disciples he was going away. The disciples asked Where are you going and how can we know the way? Thomas, the questioner, asks that. And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So a babe born in the smallest towns of all of Judah, he didn't reside in a palace or an inn, but a stable placed as a newborn in swaddling claws. Uh, we, we've g- glamorized the manger, but remember that uh, they, they, took, they were repurposing a, a, a cattle feeding trough, tried to clean it out as best they could, in, to which they then would place their, their baby. There would be no kingly cradle to hold this one. Rather, just that repurposed manger. No loud celebrations of the Word made flesh. Only only uh, peasant shepherds who would come and bring adoration to Christ. It would be later. The, the Jews would not accept him, but it was Gentile kings, magi, that would travel and would come to bring worship as those Outsiders of Israel. The contrasts are really jolting, aren't they? The one who made the worlds is ignored by the world. The eternal word received no expressions of welcome. There would be no crowns, no thorn upon which he would sit, but rather only a cruel tree on Golgotha's hill called Calvary. There was so much that was wrong. So much, however, is right. God the Father, His love for us was so great that He sent, remember again that very familiar verse, He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him might not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love, you see, makes its ultimate epiphany and so, if I were to again quote Scripture, it would be 1 John chapter 4. In this the love of God was manifested that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. In this the love of God was manifested that He was the propitiation, the, the wrath-bearing substitute for me at the cross of Calvary. So much is right For Jesus came not merely to be with us, but he rather came to die for our sins. There's a a song that goes something like this. All is well, all is well. Angels and men rejoice. For tonight darkness fell into the dawn of love's light. Sing alleluia. All is well, all is well. Let there be peace on earth. Christ has come. Go and tell that he is in the manger. Sing, Alleluia. All is well, all is well. Lift up your voice and sing, Born is now Emmanuel. Born is our Lord and Savior. Sing, Alleluia. All is well today. But I want you to think about that in the sense of look at the world or even our immediate lives and say, can, can we say that all is well? All is well for Christ came to redeem us from the penalty of sin. I have to remember that even in our world of woe, and I, you remember the old song, Out of the Ivory Palaces into this world of woe? Only my Savior's love made him go. Uh, Look at the world. It's a world of woe. I I don't know if you've noticed, our sinful systems around us are not representations of righteousness and justice. Uh, We've lived through uh, cultural tumult in in the last years, trying to figure out uh, what what is justice and how, how does... How does ethics and righteousness get manifested in daily life? Or, or I begin to think about, I, I have burdens on my own individual scale. I think of, I have a next older brother. His name is Glenn. And uh, two weeks ago he called me and said, uh, The doctors have diagnosed that I have terminal cirrhosis of the liver. And, and 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 I know, knowing him, that is from chronic, long term pattern of abuse of alcohol. So even in my little world, is there all kinds of woe? And and talking with his family, yes, he prayed a prayer. I'm sure as a child, quote unquote, to profess Christ. Uh, his life has not manifested the reality of what it means to be a transformed person. To be trapped in sin and experience physical and perhaps even eternal death. I mean, you look at your life. Are there situations of woe? All kinds of challenges and difficulty. But I, I am drawn back to remember that the manger is the first step of God in order to redeem us from the penalty of sin. Because Christ Jesus came not merely to be with us, but rather he came to bear our judgment at Calvary for us. I would remind myself that all is well, for Jesus came to free me from the power of sin. Uh, 1 John uh, talks about this really interesting 1 John 3 where he says for this purpose Christ came into the world and there are two purposes there that, that we would no longer practice sin a little later he says I, I, I've, I've come into the world this is my purpose for coming into the world that, that I would free you from the power of the devil there is a superior pleasure there is a superior pleasure to every sin. And that is the pleasure of knowing, of seeing, of savouring, of believing, of trusting Jesus Christ. He is a far superior treasure. That that really is, is the is the pursuit and the pleasure that enables me to say no to sin. My, my wife and I now have been married for 45 years. I think that's right, 45 years. Don't tell my wife I'm hesitating. Um, superior pleasure in relationship with my wife has excluded relationship with every other woman in that fashion because there's a delight and a pursuit and a joy that I find in her. You see, all is well today because Christ came to free us from the daily power of sin. Don't excuse yourselves, folks. You don't need to sin. You have every provision and power to live freely from the power of sin. Uh, all is well in that Christ will come to free us from the very presence of sin Himself, uh, sin itself. Sean is right. That joy to the world really was written about the second coming we we've kind of applied it to the first coming no more let sin and sorrow reign you, you you realize one one day one day Christ will come i don't want to make this difficult for the douglas family but they're they're obviously raw from the experience of Jim's death, do you realize one day we will never stand at an open grave site and mourn? Just last week, I did a committal at a nearby cemetery, and uh, we buried a a, a 49-year-old woman with terminal brain cancer. And uh, we did that in the hope of the coming of Christ. Now, the great reality is perhaps we're living in the day where we may be ones to actually see that and escape the reality of death. But I want you to understand that all is well in that we have such great hope. We have such great hope in the gospel of Christ. We have great hope in the fact that just as Christ came... Surely as a baby, so he will exactly fulfill his word when he says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Titus chapter 2 speaks of the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, has made its epiphany to all categories of people. And that grace teaches us how to live. It teaches me to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts. And it teaches me to say yes to living righteously and soberly and godly in this present world. But then he adds this in verse 13. Do you you remember verse 13 of Titus 2? He says, looking for the blessed hope. All is well because not only has Jesus come, but Jesus will come and free us from the very presence of sin. All is well for Jesus has conquered sin and death. All is well for though in this world we have trouble. Jesus Christ himself said, I have overcome the world. I have conquered the world. All is well for though we sorrow, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. We we sorrow with those who experience sorrow. We labor with those who are burdened and heavy laden. We grieve with those who grieve, but we have such great hope in the coming work and the word of Christ himself. All is well, for God is sovereign. In the, in the sovereign purpose of God Galatians 4 4 says in the fullness of time God sent forth his son now the imagery of that verse uh, one of our gals at Ankeny Baptist just, just had a little little newborn baby and each Sunday prior to that or each time I saw Beth I would walk up to her and I'd give her a hug and I'd say looks like we're getting right almost ready um, and she was wanting the baby to come so that it, was, so that it wouldn't ruin their Christmas travel plans. <laughs> and you get the image of the fullness of time. You get to someone who, my wife is a great uh, predictor of when babies are going to be born. She can look at pregnant women right at the end of their pregnancy, and she can even most of the time predict the sex based upon where the, you know, I don't know how you ladies do that, but she's able to do that pretty well. God in the fullness of time he sovereignly sent forth his son he sent forth his son in the likeness of sin, sinful flesh he condemns sin in the flesh and he redeems sinners and so even when we look at the birth of Christ we say God is so wonderfully loving and sovereign in his purposes for us all is well Born is now Emmanuel. Think with me. God is not distant. He is not a spiteful, judging, divine ogre. He did not send his son into the world, John three seventeen, in order to condemn the world, but rather that the world through him might be saved. Born is now Emmanuel, God with us. Born is our Lord and Savior. Sing Alleluia. Say, praise the Lord. All is well. Father, thank you for your goodness to us today. Pray that you might even help us to have great hope and confidence in the work of Christ. Thank you again so much for all...